everyone. This is April Hansen with Arkansas Catholic Asks, a podcast produced by the staff of the Arkansas Catholic Newspaper. We interview newsmakers in the church on various faith topics that matter most to you. This is the third episode in a three-part series on immigration. In the first episode, we interviewed Maria Garcia, a young DACA recipient, about her trip across the border as a child. In the second, we spoke with 21-year-old DACA recipient Kevin Azanza, a senior with a double major at the University of Arkansas about his involvement in immigration legislation in Arkansas. Today, I am thrilled to sit down with Christy Dunn. She is principal of St. Teresa School in Little Rock. And St. Teresa School has an 87% Latino population. Not only has she created a positive, diverse environment at St. Teresa School for the past five years as principal and spent 11 as a teacher, but she's been outspoken on immigration issues from welcoming immigrant students to helping organize the Catholic Day of Action for our immigrant brothers and sisters this summer, along with Catholic Charities of Arkansas and Pox Christi Little Rock. So welcome, Christy. Thank you, April. I'm so excited again, as I said, to speak with you today. Um, We like to start our podcast out with just a fun little icebreaker question. So tell me, what is your New Year's resolution this year? I actually do want to get back into the gym, which I know is cliche, (laughs) but um, I was doing some running and I want to get back to that. So that's great. Mm -hmm. How do you enjoy, is running kind of your favorite form of exercise? Or? It is. I mean, volleyball too. I coached volleyball some this year oh, um, really? with the school, but um, for me, it's a good de-stressor to go for a run mm-hmm. um, or to get on the treadmill. How long do you usually run? Is it like a mile? I, I hear people run, you know, several miles and it's crazy. <laughs> oh, I'm still very rookie at it. So I only do about two miles. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully, um, hopefully you can get back into that. Um, but I am excited to, again, talk with you today about, you know, several issues related to immigration. Um, But they all kind of stem from the idea of being welcoming to our immigrant brothers and sisters. And, you know, while that's something that Catholic schools and parishes have done well, there are many that just maybe not fully grasp what it means and kind of looks like in their parish and school life. So we kind of want to talk about that. So first off, when did you start to realize the hardships that immigrants face and what you could do to make a difference, especially as a white American and someone who hasn't lived that life? In my student teaching, I started to, um, and I student taught in Batesville. I went to Lyon College, um, and I attended St. Mary's Church there in Batesville as well when the Hispanic population was growing. And I felt, uh, I just felt this yearning and this desire to, you know, as a teacher, I wanted to know what strategies worked for students who were learning English. And then as a parishioner at St. Mary's, I, I just wanted everybody to feel welcome. Um, and so I would. I would say that that was kind of the um, the beginning stages um, where God was touching my heart with those experiences, um, and all of that service learning, you know, really has its roots in you know I went to St. Teresa School and I went to Mount St. Mary and just service was just a part of what we did, um, and then my first job out of college was at St. Teresa's. I do firmly believe that God called me right back to that place um, purposefully. And while we didn't have a huge Hispanic population in 2004 and 2005, it was on the radar. And it was another group of students that we wanted to be able to help the best way we could. Um, And I guess the comparison I would make and the way that I I made connections to that ministry in my own life, um, you know, we're from St. Teresa's. We're from 72209. You know, we always thought maybe we weren't the, um, the richest or the most affluent kids 
And we wanted to prove ourselves in a way. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the connection I made as I started witnessing immigrant families and the assistance that they needed. Well, that's amazing. Um, well, and tell me some of now how, because like I had mentioned, it's 87% mm-hmm. Latino population. So how much has, has that grown significantly since you've been there? Even looking back to when you were first a teacher, how much has that For grown? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, when Mrs. Olberts, when Marguerite Olberts was there, um, I think we were in like the 60, oh, between okay. 50 to 60%. Mm-hmm. And then I started teaching in 2004, 2005. And I don't, I don't know that we kept much of a statistic because I'm guessing it was, you know, still about 25% or less. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's grown enormously. Yes. Wow. Well, tell me what are some of the cultures that are represented at St. Teresa school? Um, a nice little group uh, from Guatemala. That's a very uh, recent population that we've uh, we've received. And many of the Guatemalan families identify as Native American. You know, they're indigenous people. Okay. Mexico, of course, Honduras, El Salvador. We have um, people from uh, with ancestry or uh, grandparents that are Filipino, Vietnamese, um, African American, Caucasian, of course. Um, but it's just this beautiful mix. Yeah. Well, how is, you know, what kind of benefit is it to students to be exposed to so many different cultures and not only different cultures, but also different immigration status? My, my interpretation of the experience is that our students are really existing in the reality of the world. Um, and they're having to actually engage and struggle with some of the problems that you see in our country right now, but they're having to do it on a very personal level and a very one-on-one level. Um, and that's not always easy, but it's certainly, um, it's really good for them. It's really good for us in our journey. I was in a fifth grade classroom, uh, this week, this past week. Um, and they had, um, they had to talk through some feelings that they had, um, that stemmed from just a simple, back and forth where another student said, stop speaking Spanish. I don't understand it. And they articulated some really deep feelings about this is how God made me. I know two languages and that's a good thing. I don't mean to offend anyone when I speak Spanish. What do people think about me when I speak Spanish? And in a classroom of 10 and 11 year olds, it was some pretty deep critical thinking that they were doing. But I, I, I told them that I think that that's, in essence, what our country is doing right now is really trying to struggle with this issue. And we're doing it, and we're doing it with faith, and we're doing it with love, and we're doing it um, just as the issues come up. Wow. Well, and obviously you talk about, you know, the divisiveness in the country right now. So how important is it for kids to learn these type of lessons, you know, as children? Uh I mean, to me, it's vital. Mm-hmm. Um, my my own children are Anglo. My own children express that they feel a part of a community that's really valid. That's really um, it's a really important community. It feels like a family, no matter the differences. My second daughter, <laughs> um, she'll and she's in the fifth grade, and she'll say. Um, you know, I don't really think we are white. I mean, what does white really even look like? I mean, we're all different colors. And 
I don't know. I mean, I don't think I was doing that when I was in the fifth grade. <laughs> For sure. So there's in our global in our global nature of this world and how technology and travel and career paths and everything are just so interconnected in a more global way. Um, to me, I think it's vital. Mm-hmm. Well. And something else, and we talked about this um, back in 2018, and I know you have different, you know, several different immigrant students, but uh, the school took in two immigrant children who had been separated from their parents, you know, for a time at the border. So why did you decide to do that? And was there anything about that experience that really impacted you? I felt like there was not an option. I had seen the news reports of the children being um, detained and also separated from their parents. And I'm not, I'm not making, um, you know, I'm not trying to have some inflammatory rhetoric, but that was not okay. It was pretty, pretty much anybody I talked to felt like that was not okay. And a lot of times when we would talk about it, we would say, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? And I, I personally had felt frustrated that there wasn't a lot that I could do, um, being in Little Rock, Arkansas and not being on the border. And so when um, Catholic Charities and Jennifer Verkamp called, almost the immediate response was, this is what we can do. Mm-hmm. And it's like the starfish story, right, where there's a little boy going along the beach and he's throwing one at a time the starfish back into the ocean and somebody says, why are you doing that? You know, you can't save all of them. Right, but what I can do for this one impacts this one. And so when Jennifer brought the two children um, as a need and to Catholic Charities was supporting their reintegration and their bringing, being brought back together with their parent, I said, well, we can, for at least one year, we can help take care of these children in our school. Um, so that was really where it came from. And I shared with my pastor, Father Mark, like, this is what we're going to do. I don't really know of another response that's <laughs> Christian here. Um, and he was fully supportive. Um, and so there were two really important moments from when we brought those children into our community. One, we have um, a little girl. She's now in the first grade, but when we got her, she was in the, in the kindergarten class. And when she first found her place to live with her dad, you know, people from our church and our school were offering, you know, uniforms and clothes and toys and things that she might need. And so I delivered them. I took them with my children. My children and I entered the apartment and helped bring everything in. And my children don't speak Spanish. And so they just waved and smiled and we did what we could with our language. And I came to understand that the dad was asking to take a picture. And he wanted a picture of his daughter with my kids. Wow. And it really emphasized that that global family. Like family can mean so many things. Mm -hmm. And... We're, we're family now. I mean, like it or not, we are all connected and my kids still watch out for her. And I think that she looks out for where my kids are and, and she's made tons of connections with lots of families. But for me, um, that, that was super special that moment. And then we had another little boy and it was his second grade year last year. And he's no longer in Little Rock. He has relocated to Kansas, but We had him for his second grade year, and he had his first communion mass. And his dad was able to come, but nobody else from his family, right? He's uh, Guatemalan. And so uh, 
I drove and picked him up and his dad and drove them to the mass and the faith formation director was there and his teacher was there and it was um, it was so beautiful that universality of the sacrament it was so beautiful to be part of his family and his experience for that time it was so it was so powerful that we were able to help him get his first communion while he was here and that just the joy um, of that of that time in fact I think one person, Talking about technology, I think we had one person on FaceTime so that his mom could see him get his first communion. Oh, wow. And where was his mom? Do you know? Yeah, in Guatemala. Guatemala. Wow. And so it's just amazing, these connections that, you know, we've been able to make with people I would never have met in my life. And I firmly believe are some of the best people I've ever met in in the world. And I just, you know... Our paths will cross while they cross on the earth, and I hope, I hope to see them again someday in heaven if we don't get to live near each other again on the earth. You know, right. wow. Well, what a powerful experience, and really to have that again for the student body as well to really just you know welcome them with open arms. And I know that um, you have really just in my reporting on St. Teresa school and talking with you in the past, you've really gone above and beyond to accommodate your student body. You know, especially when you're talking about, you know, 80% of students on financial aid. Um, so one of my favorite quotes from you when we spoke uh, regarding taking um, 26 students from St. Edward's school that closed in Little Rock in uh, May, 2019, um, you had mentioned Catholic education cannot just be for the wealthy or the elite, or else to me, it's not Catholic education. My personal mission is to make sure that Catholic education is accessible, affordable, and available. So tell me, why is that your mission and how does that make a difference for, especially for immigrant parents and students? So I need to give credit where credit is due. The accessible, affordable, and available part of that quote does come from Notre Dame, the Latino Enrollment Institute. That's part of their mission. But it's so easy to just Mm -hmm. keep those three words in your context because it's a really good mission to hold on to. Um, And Latino Enrollment Institute at Notre Dame, I've been able to attend one session of Latino Enrollment Institute and one session of Adelante, and they do amazing work. and, and their mission is exactly what I'm saying. If there's not a school that's available to a family who predominantly speaks Spanish, who needs a scholarship, um, where someone there can assist them with that process, then Catholic education isn't for the immigrant. Um, and to go back to our history in the United States, that's actually why Catholic education really got started. You know, when our German and our Polish and our Irish ancestors came and they were in the public schools, the public schools at that time did teach faith, but it was the Protestant brand of faith, which I'm not criticizing, but at that time, our Catholic ancestors said, we're going to lose our faith if we don't get them catechized. So they said, let's start Catholic schools. And I'm sure that not all those Catholic schools were teaching in English, those sisters were using their native tongue. They were teaching the faith. They were teaching academics so that these kids would have a better life. So if we go to a system where our schools are only for those who can, you know, come in and speak English, fill out all the forms online, and pay the tuition as it is listed in the handbook, um, then we're not holding up to our tradition. We're not holding up to our mission, um, 
I think the Catholic school's office embraces this as their mission, and it's certainly my mission because of our history. And I come from a, I come from a German-Austrian ancestry um, that were very much impacted by the sisters. And I know that they didn't just start speaking English the first minute they got here. They needed that German. They needed that heritage. And my grandfather still, um, you know, he makes wine and he makes sausage. And so when you're talking about culture, you know, faith and food and cultural celebrations, all of that is so intertwined. And so if I can see in my own lineage, okay, you know, my family is Catholic, very Catholic still. Um, you see a food tradition still being carried out. You see culturally traditions still being carried out. Then why wouldn't I expect that mm-hmm. of an El Salvadorian, of a Honduran, of a Guatemalan? I mean, it's the same process we've gone through. Absolutely. Well, so tell me how much, what has been the reaction of immigrant parents when they realize that St. Saint Teresa's school will not only welcome them, but be open to their culture. I mean, what has been kind of the feedback? I mean, are they surprised? Are they, you know, what's kind of their... When we get kind of a, a walk-in, a cold call, someone who only has heard of us because one person said, hey, go try St. Teresa's, they are so surprised. So I just took in a seventh grade student about a month ago, and she came in with her mom and her mom's sister, and they all speak Spanish because they're um, fairly recent immigrants. And so I gave the tour. I talked about, you know, our secretary is bilingual. I speak some Spanish. I'll do the best I can. Showing all the pieces to the campus and what we offer. And her mom's friend sat down in the front office and in Spanish just said, wow, I wish I could go to school here. (laughs) So it was just this beautiful response that was so candid. And I I was so happy because I was like, that's what I want. That's what I want people to feel. And so very new families are feel are, uh, feel very reassured initially. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, families who have been here longer, uh, you know, as we start pushing, pushing for more homework or pushing for more studying or pushing for, you know, we need to get this done, um, that can lead to a little bit of a, of a struggle. But it's never, it's never animosity. It's all of us wanting what's best for these kids. Yeah. Well, and what a comfort for them, especially especially new parents that come here from another country to know that their child is not only safe, but is receiving a good Catholic education. I mean, that's um, amazing. And that's I want to kind of springboard off of that to talk about, you know, what Catholic schools and parishes can do to be more welcoming to immigrants. So what are some of the big roadblocks that you've seen happening when it comes to the Anglo and Latino communities? We as Catholics, with our liturgy and with our tradition, big T tradition, little T traditions, we unfortunately can think that that's the way you have to do it. Mm-hmm. You fall into a rut is another way to say it, right? And so it's pushing. I think parishes, I think schools, I think people need to be aware um, that we have to get a little bit of outside of our comfort zone and we need to understand that the other families of however long they've been in our country, um, they live like that every day. So if we're going to feel a little bit uncomfortable, 
you know, multiply that times a hundred and you can maybe kind of understand where they're coming from. So the, the way I think about this is, is two things. I think we have to stop assuming. Okay. So if we have a parish festival every year and every year it's from 12 to five, what about people who work on a Saturday? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What about the evening hours when it's more convenient for those parishioners? So we, we have to take our own assumptions about how we live our lives and we have to really put those down and we have to think, um, you know, what might be hard about this for an immigrant family to come and attend? Is it the time? Is it the place? Is it the amount of money that's involved? Um, was anything communicated in Spanish? Are we sensitive to a variety of income levels? Are our parish masses at times that allow for those who work even on the weekends? And so you really have to start putting those assumptions about how life goes on a Monday or a Sunday or a Thursday. You have to really put that down. Um, so that was one, one suggestion I had. And I also have to say our pastor, Father Mark, is a really good example of how to do this well because um, he has really done that in his tenure at St. Teresa's. And then the other thing, and this is especially important for schools, there are invisible barriers to get to anything in this country. Um, you know, if you're having to go to the Social Security office, you have to navigate that. If you're going to go to, the, to get your driver's test and get a driver's permit, you have to navigate that. And for some of us, we think, that's so easy, that's no problem. But there are so many barriers in the way for people who are learning a new language, learning a new place, learning a new city, learning a new state. Um, So when you think about breaking down barriers, is there someone in your school who can speak Spanish when the person arrives? Can someone greet them in Spanish and ask them how to help them? Is there any signage in Spanish? When the two, if there are masses in English and in Spanish, are those two groups just passing each other by and never meeting each other? (laughs) Or are there opportunities for them to meet each other and see each other? Are there people in leadership that aren't all Anglo? Um, And then my other thought here is um, I I think it's a good idea to go to a Spanish mass or another language mass. And I feel so strongly about this because I think there's a misconception. This is not us catering to a group. Vatican II gave us the opportunity to have Mass in our native language. So for us, we got to start having Mass in English. Praise God. And we're not having it in Latin anymore. But the downside to that is, since we all can't come together for a universal language, then yeah, we've got to have an English Mass and a Spanish Mass and maybe a Vietnamese Mass. We don't need to exist parallel. You know, Go to a different Mass than your own sometimes and just experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some things that I've thought of regarding breaking down barriers and putting down assumptions, um, because we're not all cookie cutter people. Absolutely. Well, and you talked about some, you know, steps that parishes can take, but so it really sounds like what it kind of all boils down to is communication is yes. reaching out to somebody that is of a different culture to find out. Cause you know, if there is, you know, as you mentioned, a festival, that, you know, is set from certain time limits. I mean, why is it just so important to really include, because I do think that parishes can kind of get in their bubble of, you know, English speakers and Spanish speakers, because, you know, there's a lot of parishes that will have separate events for everything. And why is that just not 
Catholic (laughs) or feasible. And that's not, you know, necessarily a condemnation on these parishes, but I mean, it's just not, we're talking about the universal church. So why, why is it so important that parishes do communicate? We have found that, uh, our faith journey, our relationship with Christ has been deepened by our experience with those in our community. Um, our faith formation director, Lynn Ekstrom, is another one who's really good at this. And so Lynn has taken um, the traditional faith formation model of Sunday school. And um, yes, there's a Spanish program for children. Okay, that's an option. But there's also an option to go to a family faith formation program with children and parents, and it's in English and in Spanish. And what she has found in those experiences, and I've been to those as well as my children have prepared for the sacraments, we're learning from one another and one another's revelations about scripture and sacrament that we wouldn't have otherwise. Um, My daughter, my oldest daughter is in confirmation class right now, and we do confirmation class bilingually. And so when we're tackling social justice questions, well, it's not just coming from Christy Dunn and an Anglo perspective. It's coming from, let me hear from Cynthia, and let me hear from Kelly, and let me hear from Juan, and let me hear from Benjamin. And and it's so rich in a way that, um, you know, I just wish all all of us were formed in our faith. Um, For us adults, for us grownups, I just don't think faith should be stale. I, I have no problem with routine and habit and all of that, but, you know, and I'm a traditional go to Saturday afternoon mass. That's my tradition. But I go to a 7 a.m. Spanish mass about once a month now because it's so heartening for me. It's so, it's so full of joy. The music is beautiful. The scripture speaks to me in a different way than it would normally. The Holy Spirit's at work in that. Um, so it's just, we can't be complacent. We can't get stale. Well, you had mentioned about, you know, just kind of, again, the divisiveness right now. So I want to ask, you know, immigration has really become a political issue. So why should Catholics look at it from a different lens? Well, it's our faith. I mean, the simple answer is it is, it's our faith. Um, and, it's a no-brainer to me, but um, as I tried to think about this um, and make a cogent argument, we can't get to heaven on our own. You know, Jesus had to die and save us for us to get to heaven. So if we have a myth built up in our head that everything we do in our life, we did ourselves, and we can only depend on ourselves, um, that's, that's blasphemous, actually, because um, we can't. So if that's our faith belief, right, that that's how we're going to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ, faith plus works, right, then how is that not our understanding of reality and life on this earth? That it's it's an amazing blessing to have been born in the United States. It's an amazing blessing if you have had any sort of push to be educated and to go on to college and to get a good job and all of those things. And it is very prideful if we think that we pulled ourselves up from our bootstraps and it's just the American way and it's self-reliance. I have uh, part of the ministry that I've done as I've done that, the Holy Spirit has really broken that um, off of my heart that 
that I'm doing it in any form or fashion. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Lord who's doing it. And we're, we're his instruments. We're his servants. We're in the vineyard, right? We're working in the vineyard. And so, um, to recognize that, to recognize the great blessing to be an American, to be in a first world country with technology and clean water and firefighters and police officers and, and things that um, just others would, would die for, literally die for. We need each other, and it's not a solo mission. Um, that's just the way we have to look at it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I wanted to kind of wrap up you know, with this final question, just for our listeners, you know, what is one takeaway, you know, from this discussion on immigration that you'd like them to reflect on? I really want our listeners to feel what it is like to be the other. Here's some suggestions. If you're looking for a way to do that, go to a mass in a different language. Like I said, um, if you need a place to volunteer where you want to come and encounter some uh, some students or some families of a different culture, I would welcome you at St. Teresa to come and volunteer. Go shop at a at a different store, at a mercado, at a at a place that's Spanish speaking, just to feel what that might be like for someone who's entering our world. Absolutely. Well, that's definitely what our listeners should uh, reflect on and go ahead and and make plans to do that. And um, I want to thank you so much, though, Christy, for taking the time to share your story. And I hope our listeners will take, you know, the new year to really get to know their immigrant brothers and sisters with open hearts. Um, So we always end our podcast with a prayer relating to the topic. And Christy, I know you've brought a prayer um, about Blessed Stanley Rother, which is perfect because (laughs) of his, you know, uh, ministry and then ultimately martyrdom in Guatemala. Um, So let's go ahead and, and pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, O faithful shepherd, Blessed Stanley Rother, as priest and missionary, you tilled the soil with your hands and invited Christ Jesus to till the soil of your soul. You became a sign of love of Christ the Good Shepherd for your people and blessed their lives by your ministry. You stood firm and did not run from danger, bringing glory to God and His church in your martyrdom. Blessed Stanley, obtain from the heart of Jesus a willingness within our hearts to welcome the stranger among us. And pray for me too, that I, might, that I may be a sign of Christ's love among His people. Teach me to faithfully till the soil of this life in the reality given to me by your Father, unafraid to stay with those God has given me, no matter the cost. We pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, thank you again, Christy. And everyone, remember to like and subscribe to our Arkansas Catholic Asks podcast and follow Arkansas Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, arkansas-catholic.org. And be sure to check back for future episodes of Arkansas Catholic Asks.